and welcome to Books in the Biz. I am back here with the books part of the business, uh, Mr. Richard Veltre. Rich, how are you doing? I am good. I'm good. Glad yeah. to hear it. I am wonderful. I am Dan Paulson. I am the biz part of this two-person conversation that we're going to be having today. Uh, so, Rich, a while ago, I reached out on LinkedIn and I set up a survey. As we were starting this, I wanted to ask people, well, what is it you really want to listen to? What do you want to hear from us? Or, uh, you know, what should we put together? And the number one thing was people want to hear about our past client experiences and what happened. And there's two sides we can look at. And one side is looking at all the promising outcomes and, and how we were able to help clients, which I believe is important. And there's the other side, which I also believe is important, that uh, maybe we share the not so successful tales of Dan and Rich and when they've worked with clients and, and what caused maybe things to not go as as according to plan. Um, and what what to me comes out of that is, you know, there are times, and I know you and I are not unique in this situation, where we have somebody come in, uh, they have a particular problem they want to solve, they hire us, or they hire a consultant, we'll generalize it for now, they hire a consultant, they bring that consultant in, they pay them very good money, and then they still choose to do whatever the hell they want, which to me has me scratching my head a little bit. But I thought maybe we could share some stories of where you and I have had some experiences like that, what happened, what the outcome was, and maybe a little uh, little lesson that we can teach our listeners here as to what you need to do if you're going to hire somebody uh, to help your business out and then not listen to them. So I was going to ask you first, since I tend to talk a lot anyway. Uh, I'm sure you've got one or two examples you can think of where you've had a client, they've hired you, and then they went and did whatever they wanted to. Um, yeah, I've had uh, I've had several of those in my career. <laughs> um, anywhere from a small a, a security alarm company to a distribution company, uh, actually multiple distribution companies, where I think. I think I got a little tired of the um, the phrase executive decision. So <laughs> where you put these people together and everybody tells you, here's what you have to do. And the owner, founder, whoever's kind of in the, in the ultimate top seat says, nope, I'm going to do it my way. And I'm going to basically sign off on executive decision. And I didn't even know what that was. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, tell you what, go into more detail on that because sure. that would be an interesting scenario. And I can uh, I can appreciate that. So this might be a, as much a help session for the two of us <laughs> as it is for our listeners on this. But uh, yeah. let's dig into that one a little bit further. So yeah. without giving away names and, and yeah. uh, identifying the guilty, what sort of uh, so you said it was distribution company. Yeah. What were they like? How big were they? You know, uh, 20, employees, 20 to $25 million distribution company of, uh, of shoes. Um, essentially, that company hired management uh, that had it dead set in their head that they were going to um, go down a spe specific path. And by the specific path, what I'll tell you is 
the shoes that we were selling out of that distribution company were orthopedic shoes. They were designed for people who had foot problems. Mm. They brought in a management team that was dead set on the fact that they were going to get celebrity endorsement to help sell more shoes. Now, by celebrity endorsement, you think, okay, people who have foot problems, doctors, somebody who's going to lend a hand to, you know, shoes that are built around people who have foot pain. They hired athletes. <laughs> because that's what you do, right? You take the because, Nike approach. You know, maybe older athletes who are at, past their, you know, past their prime in the NFL or whatever, you know, might be wearing these shoes. But, you know, I sure that they're not wearing these shoes when they're actually playing. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so it was clearly a disconnect. You know, experts like myself were hired to come in and try to help the company out. And we kept saying this is part of the problem. And that is, you know, you're not following what your core message is. Your message is to help people with foot problems. You know, they're not going to connect to a, you know, to an NFL player. So um, company headed towards uh, toward headed towards bankruptcy. Mm headed towards clear liquidation. They had no, you know, they were so focused on this sales and marketing blow up that they expected to come from NFL and, and other athlete kind of endorsement. And what wound up happening was, you know, they weren't paying attention to the operations and the, and the ability to actually manufacture the shoes. So they had other problems creep up and well, that entire management team wound up eventually getting fired. But uh, it took a major board action to get it done. Wow. So from the financial side, what was obviously there was already financial trouble there. What were you brought in specifically to do or to look at? Um, I was kind of brought in towards the end of that debacle um, where the because they cleared out management, they had a CFO that they had let go. Mm. Um, and they were trying to use the controller to do the work of the CFO. Um, but he didn't have the skill set. He just was, you know, he hadn't been in the position before all of us here, you have to make these, you know, big decisions and you have to, you know, make sure all the accounting goes out and make sure that everybody sees what's happening. And he just, you know, there was a point in time where he was taking documents that he didn't know what to do with. And he was afraid to ask anymore. So he was throwing it in the closet behind him. When I came in, first thing we had to do was actually empty that closet because there were so many things in there that didn't get handled. You know, we had to take care of it. Um, but um, sales were dropping because they had let their supply chain, you know, dwindle. They had made bad decisions. And so they needed someone to come in and help rebuild that. Um, so what I was immediately tasked with was, you know, essentially holding back the banks and holding back the investors and basically saying, nope, we have a plan and here it is. And, you know, we had to basically tell everybody this is what we're going to do, um, which did work. Um, eventually, we were able to put that company back on the right track, um, but it was, you know, following um you know, following a very specific plan and actually a shift in, in, uh, in their business model. So during this time though, you had mentioned kind of executive decision. How often did you have to deal with, with that as you're trying to get things turned around? Um, uh, a number of times the, the CEO that they brought back to kind of lead the, the change, I'll call it the changeover because the company went from selling, um, at a wholesale level 
to selling at a retail online level. That was mm, their okay. basic, that was their big business shift. So when they did that, they brought back a CEO, the CEO who had originally founded the company. They brought him back and said, you know, rebuild this for us, which he did masterfully, masterfully. <laughs> but he went back into founder mode. So there were other people doing things and he was just making decisions and nobody knew what they were. So there was a, you know, we go back to one of our um, previous podcasts talking about, you know, communication. Communication was a, was an issue here because he was off on, I have to rebuild this. And, you know, it was more of an I as opposed to a we. And so, um, you know, there were, there were issues where all of a sudden it was like, you know, what, what decision did you make? And then you find out afterwards. And unfortunately, sometimes that popped up as a problem because we went one way thinking he was going that way and he took a left turn. Luckily in this situation, you were able to turn things around, which was good. Um, you know, did you see any pushback from other people in the organization as well? Or was it pretty much just that CEO that kind of dropped into founder's mode? The, um, the CEO probably was the biggest one. Um, I don't know. I think the salespeople <laughs> clearly had, <laughs> had a different mindset because they were very used to being the wholesale people. They were the people who, you know, sold the shoes directly to doctor's offices, et cetera. And when you create a website and start selling the shoes online, there's no salespeople. <laughs> so um, they were not really happy about the, the, the fundamental shift, but to them, it was a little less of the executive decision and a little more of, you know, just being difficult and, you know, saying this isn't going to work. We proved them wrong, but, you know, they didn't see it and they were not, they were not buying into the new strategy. Uh, well, you were, it sounds like you were lucky in this case, you actually had a board that came in, made decisions and, and got the right people in place, or at least started to get the right people in place. Uh, you know, I think of a situation with mine that I know the company's still around, but I do believe they are struggling in that, you know, they didn't have a board, they didn't have an outside influence to kind of, other than the economy itself, to, to kind of force them to make decisions. Um, in my case, it was a service-based company, and the owner uh, has dreams of, of stepping back or retiring, common common theme with some of the people I'm talking with is, you know, they've reached a point in their career where they built the business up and they want to step back and, and you know, either have other people run the business and they, they maintain ownership or pass it on to, to somebody else. In a lot of cases, what I see is either it's a family member or it's employees that they're trying to get to, to essentially take over the business. Um, so I was brought in in a situation where the business had kind of stagnated. They were in a unique industry. There was high demand for what they did. They were the recognized leaders in many cases. But the problem was they couldn't get anything done. It, it was a continuous process where uh, everyone was always busy, but nobody was ever billable. So from the financial side, I'm sure you can recognize where this is probably not going to be a good thing if you can never bill your hours or you can only bill part of your hours and you have to take the write-offs for a lot of time that isn't spent, you know, working or being productive, at least not productive in the sense that, that it would be something the client would pay for. And that was the common uh, feedback I was getting from the owner is that everyone's always busy doing something, but I can never bill, or I always feel like I have to write off the time because uh, that time's not there. Or it, what I found is they were kind of doing this, uh, 
Rob Peter to pay Paul game. They would work hours. They would build another client for hours. Um, but then once they or no, how did it work? They would, they would bill the hours. They would keep working on the project. Once it ran out of hours, then they of course had to go to another client and kind of find projects to work with them while they're still working on this one, but they haven't finished this one yet. So they're continuing to do work on a project that's not done. And, you know, then they're jumping ahead to work on another project. And then all this work just kind of piles up and congeals together. And in the end, they can't get anything done. That's really what it boiled down to is there was no project management. There was no no push forward to actually bring closure to work. And there were there were a couple main problems for this. One, uh, the owner, as is often the case when the owner is is the founder or is the primary person in the business, they're the oracle. They had to make all the decisions and it didn't matter if it was the most basic of things or the most complex of things. It was their way or it wasn't right. So you created this culture around you where, well, I can't do anything until the boss says it's okay. And nine times out of the 10, the boss is going to correct whatever I'm doing because he wants it done his way. And this is what we would run into is everyone's sitting kind of in this holding pattern they're working on projects, they're not getting anything done, and it's all dependent on what the boss wants to do. Now, the other side of this is you also had employees kind of similar to your sales situation where they had their own idea of what needed to be done, and they would just go ahead and do it, and then the boss wouldn't stand up and then redirect them or coach them into what they should be doing instead. So you got people kind of going rogue. You got people that all these people that also won't do anything unless the boss approves it. And the two heads just came together. And, and that was the, you know, the emphasis of, of I guess, bringing me in. Um, so now I'm giving the boss feedback. I'm telling him what he needs to do, how he needs to change, how he needs to change his staff. And, you know, he would agree with me on a lot of things. We would talk. And then each week when I would come back to meet with him, he would have the same complaints over and over and over again. I'm like, well, we talked about this. How are you good? You know, this is what you're supposed to be doing, yet you're not following through on, on the work you're doing or you're telling them and they're not listening and then you're not coaching them to actually complete what you're asking them to do. And it was just this constant cycle. And he would, it got to the point where he would recognize and he would tell me, I know I'm supposed to be doing this, but. And the but is always the giveaway that, okay, you're not going to do it. And there were many ways that I tried to step in and, and help him out. First was the coaching consulting side of things. And then for a while, actually, I kind of came in as a, you know, a COO for, for hire, if you will. And we, what we were able to do is we were able to implement a number of things. We made some changes. Um, we were able to get some employees hired, some key positions, uh, but then at the same time, the owner never followed up with those key positions, never coached those new people. They were kind of just put in a seat and expected to do a job and didn't understand what they were expected to do. So even after all that effort, we kind of turned full circle here. And that kind of gets us back to you know the point we've been talking about, which is why do you spend money to hire somebody? Because... I, I don't know your exact price point, but I know you're not free and it's probably a pretty good investment if they're going to hire you because I know it's a good investment if they're going to hire me and they'll spend all this money and they still won't do anything. 
What do you think? It's why is that? Uh, I think I think that your story and you know the example you just went through is probably key. And I think love the fact that you brought up culture <laughs> because I think when you when you think from the outside and you just think about business to a certain extent, it's medicinal. It's just kind of this is it. This is what happens. This is how it goes. Do this, and this is what's going to come out of it. And when you're in it, though, I think culture plays such a big factor and everybody thinks it doesn't, but it sure does. Um, the, the thing about the, the shoe company, um, everybody loved the shoe company. They really did. They loved what they were doing. And the story behind it was something that allowed for a really, really good culture, except for the fact that all of a sudden somebody at the top made a bad decision and sales started dropping and everything started going in a different way. And the staff just didn't know what to do. Um, so there was somewhat of a, the, the, the lack of leadership leads to a culture problem, right? Mm -hmm. So, so either those people are going to do exactly what you said. They're either going to try to figure out what to do themselves, but sometimes put people in a boat that's going this way <laughs> yep. when management's in a boat going that way. And so that creates a problem or the people sit around and say, gee, you know, there's nobody here. And now morale is going down. Because they're saying, there's no one here to tell me what to do. I'm sitting around. I'm staring. You know, I mean, they had the, the uh, problem with the um, supply chain. And there were problems with what they had shipped out. So I came in and I'm looking up at the top of this file cabinet. And there were literally stacks of paper <laughs> up there. And I finally said, now I knew already about the closet with all the stuff that was thrown in the closet. And I'm looking at what's going on up on top of this piece of, of, you know, of furniture. And I'm going, uh, guys, what is that? <laughs> return memos. I said, return memos, credit memos. I'm like, okay, well, what are they doing up there? Well, they haven't been entered into the system yet. Oh. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Wait a minute. Time out. Time out. Back up. So this pile of paperwork everybody was just putting them up there because that's what they were told to do put them to the side because we'll get to them later that thing grew so big that my financial statements were wrong because oh, once wow. you put those in the system it changed your numbers completely so so you you know i think i'm off on a little bit of a tangent but i'll circle it back here and just kind of say without that leader making the decision and communicating it down to everyone that this is what the process is. People can't help you then. They can't put their two cents in. They can't do what they want to do for you. Even if they want to, they literally can't because they don't know what to do. So somewhere along the line, if you're going to make executive decision, at least communicate, communicate it, it because then people can follow you. But when you make executive decision and you don't tell anybody what it is, then everybody's going in different directions. So, and that's the scariest part because that'll take you three, four months just to get those people in the right boat rowing in the right direction. Oh, definitely. And here's where I will add to that. Uh, I agree with you hundred percent. Culture is so much more than just doing the stuff. Everyone thinks business is just tasks and procedures. And if you just perform those tasks and procedures, everything will work perfectly. Well, businesses aren't that robotic. They're kind of living, breathing things. And depending upon 
again, how strong your, your muscles are, how well your organs are working. You know, you translate that to your process procedures, you translate that to your people and then how well your brain's working, which again is your, your leadership staff. That's really what kind of makes all this stuff work together. Um, what I really think we need to add to this is mindset. So in your situation, you had a board that was able to step in and kind of rewrite the ship. They, they knew stuff was going south and, and they knew they needed to fix it. And then they took drastic actions to do so. Let's face it, in most companies, there is no board. Even if they should have a board, even if their bylaws say they do have a board, they don't. It's typically a one-owner situation. That one owner is making all the decisions for the organization, and people are just expected to follow. Well, what happens when that one owner has the mindset that their people are incapable of doing their jobs? Uh, what happens if that one owner has the mindset that focus on himself that or herself that they are a complete failure, uh, that they are insecure, incapable of of delivering? Um, what they want, because believe it or not, I've had many discussions with owners and while they exude extreme amounts of confidence, they're really kind of fragile at times. And that can happen to all of us. We have our ups, we have our downs, we go through bad times. And typically, again, when you're bringing in some outside help, you've reached a point in your business that's plateaued or that is now going the other direction. Sales are shrinking or, or, you know, we're seeing profits erode and they have gone beyond the capacity of their own knowledge and experience to fix that. Mm -hmm. So there's this whole mindset that goes on. And then there's this dichotomy within that mindset because they might recognize. So back to my example, they recognize where the problem is at. They recognize that that problem needs to be fixed but something in the back of their head tells them, no, you have to prove you're right and move on and do what you were doing before, because that's what creates, created your success of the past. And of course, we've all heard the phrase law of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Well, they often do. They, they expect that they can do what they want and everyone else should change, but they shouldn't. So back to that whole mindset thing, if your company's reached a point where you're struggling and you can't figure out what's going on and now you're bringing in some outside experts to help with that, you really need to make sure that you're willing to change your mindset just as much as you're expecting your employees to change <laughs> theirs. And it starts with you at the top, because as you pointed out, Rich, everyone follows that top leader. And if that top leader isn't, isn't, walking the walk or talking the talk while well, everyone just kind of shrugs their shoulders and goes back to what they're doing before. And that's what I've seen time and time again is as we've talked about how clients, you know, our clients need to improve. And as I've talked to my clients and, and explained that, and they kind of, you know, they nod their head, they do the polite smile and wave thing, and then they go ahead and do whatever they want. Well, people see that. Mm -hmm. And eventually you and I start looking like knuckleheads because, you know, we're not effective. And I've had, you know, clients point back, that back out to the owner. And I asked the owner about that. I said, well, I can understand their point because you and I sit here, talk in a room, we lay out a plan. You agree to said plan. You're supposed to go implement said plan and then you don't do it. And then they just look at me as a high expense. And that's really yeah, and where 
you know, you hear, we've all heard the bad stories of, of people that do what we do. And I have learned over time that some of those stories are accurate because let's face it, there's a lot of people out there that can hang a shingle and have no experience and go ahead and do what they do. But then there's also this other side that we need to realize and that, you know, maybe it's not that they were, were bad at what they did or did anything wrong. In the end, it comes back to whether or not the owner wanted to listen to the advice that was given. And now one of the things that I look for when I meet with clients is how many consultants have they brought in? And if, yeah. if this is a revolving door of consultancies that are coming and stopping in, there's a red flag there. And often that red flag centers around the fact that you are looking for somebody that's just going to agree with what you want and not tell you what you need to hear and then expect you to do what you need to do to correct the problems that you're having. And I think that's probably the biggest takeaway as we start moving into, you know, the end of our discussion here is, you know, what's our takeaway from all this? And to me, the takeaway is it starts at the top with leadership. That leadership needs to listen to the people that they have hired and not only the people they hired, but their employees. Because if you talk to the employees, a lot of times the employees see what needs to be done, what needs to be changed. Uh, in fact, I often go in and, and talk with the team and, and try to get an understanding of what's going on from their perspective to help the owner figure out what they need to do. So it's not that the employees are idiots and don't know what's going on. I've, often they're very well educated. They're very talented at what they do. They have a degree of expertise. They also have a ton of internal experience because they've been with the company for a while. But the owner just doesn't want to listen. And yep. that's where the key comes in. You need to change your mindset. You can't always be the expert. You can't be the stop, you know, where everything stops. They always say, well, the buck stops here. Well, the buck might stop there, but the decisions can't be directed around that. You have to take... Yeah. Uh, you have to take a educated choice of what you're going to do based off the feedback you're getting from multiple sources. And especially when those sources are, are brought in from outside and you're paying tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars to fix whatever issue you're having. And some large companies, they pay millions. What's really funny is yeah. when they pay millions and then they still don't listen. So <laughs> there you go. You bring in a McKinsey, they, they spend all sorts of money and then they still do whatever the heck they want. So yeah. That's the part I don't understand. Now, from your perspective, Rich, what's your takeaway from all this? Um, I think the biggest takeaway is that mindset shift. You know, the 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 leader, the people at the top, if you're going to bring people in, you know, you're bringing them in for a couple of one of a couple of reasons. Um, one is you don't have the connection like you just mentioned, which I think is fabulous, right? The, if you don't have the connection to the people in your office who probably could have told you all along that here's the problem, you know, but you're not listening or you're not available, you know, that's, you know, basically problem number one. Number two, if you're just bringing somebody in to say, well, you know, I hired McKenzie, you know, it, okay, just throw money at him then because <laughs> at that point, you know, you're not going to listen to him anyway, but you can still tell everybody that you hired McKenzie. Um you know, so I think that there is my takeaway is make sure that your mind is open. You know, if there is a problem, don't let it become something that, you know, is obsessive that, oh, I know there's a problem because you know what happens then you just get clouded and you're not going to fix the problem. You're just going to focus on the problem. So if you brought these people in, 
you know, open it up so that you actually are willing to listen to what they say. You don't have to agree 100% because that's the collaborative effort of hiring somebody. You're bringing somebody in from the outside on usually a fractional basis. You don't expect them to stay forever. Right. You want them to come in and go over something, figure out what the issue is, fix it so that going forward, you don't have the same issue. In my case, a lot of times these issues we're talking about relate to a problem that will recur and you'll find it in you're not getting your financial statements on time. You know, you're looking at stuff that's three months old because they finally got it fixed because your system is broken. You know, there's all kinds of reasons that you can come up with, but it translates into a problem that extends beyond the norm. So so that's really my takeaway is make sure that the owner, founder, whoever's really in charge of the whole thing is, you know, capable and willing to shift their own mindset or at least keep their mind open. Exactly. And I think that's, that's really when you and I become successful working with clients. Cause you, you mentioned that, you know, we're fractional, we should be there for a limited time. Uh, I, I agree with that to a certain extent. I also see that where, if we are successful in what we do, you and I become trusted advisors. And while our relationship with these companies might change, we built up enough trust within the team and within the leadership that not only are they listening and are, are they seeing results from it, uh, they're also mm-hmm. keeping us around because of the value that we bring to kind of keep them on course. So while I, I don't need to be working with you a hundred percent of the time, I do have a lot of clients I have with me for years that will just, yeah. you know, they stick around because they need that outside resource to bounce ideas off of. And that's probably uh, takeaway number three from all this is the value an outside expert brings is there a clean set of eyes looking at what you're doing and how you're doing it to help you figure out what needs to be fixed. And that's really when you should consider hiring somebody like us. So anyway, that's a wrap up for, for this session of Books in the Biz. Rich, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, best way to reach me is just send me an email at rvaltry at veltrygroup.com. Excellent. And Dan? if you want to get a hold of me, the easiest way to get a hold of me is danpaulsonletsgo.com. You can find a way to, you can actually schedule an appointment from there, I believe, if you want to. But you can definitely send me an email as, there as well. Um, this is Books in the Biz. We are wrapping up this episode, and we will talk to you again next week. Thanks again, everybody.